chances are if you like this podcast, you'll like other podcasts made by Lush. So why not listen to the Lush podcast? It's a podcast. It's made by Lush, hence the name. Find it where you find podcasts, usually on the internet. Welcome to Tiny Revolutions with me, Tiff Stevenson, the podcast that asks if comedy can be a force for social change. On this week's show, we have Nish Kumar. Please welcome to Tiny Revolutions, Nish Kumar. Hello. Hi. It's nice to be clapped into a conversation. It's really, it's how every conversation (laughs) should begin. (laughs) It's what we used to do when we go on stage, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel suddenly, I feel too relaxed. When I hear the sound of applause, it makes me tense. Yeah, that's good. I want you on edge for this, Nish. It's very important that you feel uncomfortable during the entire recording. Uh, welcome to Tiny Revolutions. Tiny Revolutions is a podcast exploring whether comedy can be a force for social change. So that would be my first question, Nish Kumar. Do you believe comedy can be a force for social change? Uh, the honest answer is I don't know. I go back and forward on it constantly. Um, I sometimes, yeah, I, it's a it's a question I've been asking myself a lot, uh, probably since Brexit and Trump. Is like, can you actually? use it as an engine for social change or is it just a means by which you provide relief for people who then go on to make the change make the change that's what that's i can't i honestly can't decide between those two things i think that um there are definitely examples of comedy that blurs the line with activism i mean the sort of career of someone like mark watson uh, mark thomas I mean, Mark Watson's very much an activist. Mark Watson's very much an activist (laughs) against time. But no, I mean, the career of someone like Mark Thomas, you would say, is a kind of comedy activist role. There's certainly things that John Oliver's done in the last sort of couple of years that have directly affected policy in the States. Um, And it's it's fair to say, I think, that John Oliver's probably a big influence on you as a comic. Is that Yeah, sure, absolutely, yeah. Oh, God, yeah. Thank God that guy went to America. I would literally... (laughs) I'd literally have no career if he still lived in this country. <laughs> I think you would. I think that's unfair to you. I th- I'm, I, every day when I see him win Emmys, I'm like, do it, Oliver. Stay there. Win your Emmys. Please <laughs> those, don't come back here. Well, those kind of shows do affect elections in, in the States. With with The Daily Show, definitely we're a huge part of getting Obama elected, right? I don't, I don't know. I think I find it hard to quantify sometimes. You know, I... I I, I'm I'm never really sure how much we actually are an engine for change, or whether we can just reflect the values of the era. I think it's a really it's a really interesting and important question for comedians to sort of ponder right now. Um, I think, and that, is it um, our job? Yeah, and that's the other thing. Is it the job of a comedian? I, I mean, I would say that your primary concern is to make people laugh, but uh, at the same time. I wonder what, I mean, we're still living in the impact of Nanette and Hannah Gadsby. And I wonder whether that has, whether that is another piece of comedy that will go on to change. I mean, it's certainly something that's changed comedy and reshaped comedy. But um, I wonder if that has, will play a part in kind of instigating national conversations. I mean, Chris Rock has done stand-up that's inspired genuine political and cultural debate and I often think when I reach for I often think conversationally when you try and reach for an idea that distills a really complicated thought down sometimes there are pieces of comedy that distill it 
perfectly. You know, I was trying to talk about um, I, a sort of constant obsession of mine at the moment is uh, Indians who voted leave in the EU referendum. Right. So British Indians who either first or second generation immigrants who voted leave. And you're trying to explain to people the mentality behind it. And the best way to do it is to say, do you remember that goodness gracious me sketch with the two families who were called the Kapoors and the Rabindranaths, but would identify themselves as the Coopers and the Robinsons. And in the very first sketch, a brick comes through the window that says, Packies go home. And the four of them look at it and go, yes, quite right. And that's not that, us. No, exactly. And it's that mentality of going like overcompensating in your assimilation and actually weirdly contributing to your own racism. <laughs> like, yeah. the adoration of your culture. And... Yeah, exactly. And again, that that's a that's an example of a, a piece of comedy that I I often use sort of a shorthand conversation to talk about a particular political issue. But I the honest answer is, I, I would like to think that comedy can be. Uh, an engine for social change but the honest answer is I don't know if it is and I think the best thing that we can certainly hope for is to platform conversations and uh, and also I think give people relief about serious and complicated issues Platforming conversations is really interesting because there's there's sort of a lot of no platforming happening at the moment and I turned down an event recently that I was asked to do which had Steve Bannon on at Mm. Um, and it wasn't the only reason I didn't do it but I felt uncomfortable with Steve Bannon's views being aired they're not fringe views they're not his man is in power you know so there's all these sort of conversations so I didn't do the event but what I did question was whether I'd done myself a disservice because all it meant is that the economists didn't climb down. Their position is very much, we are free speech. Yeah. We we give a platform to a variety of voices. And they asked me to do a sort of Me Too panel as well. Yeah. Um, but um, the New York Times obviously did, because people like John Mulaney said... The New Yorker, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, not the, not yeah, the yeah. New York Times, sorry. Yeah, the New Yorker. They they went, we won't have Steve Bannon appear. That did, because people that, that like did Mal- Mulaney, So that yeah, yeah. did shift it. So that was a... Uh, a real example of where comedy kind of pushed this social change. But I don't know whether the social change is pushed in the right direction because with The Economist, with me, I just felt like he was getting to have his voice and his say and be heard, and I wasn't. Yeah. So essentially what I'd done is I'd deplatformed myself. Yeah. And I don't know how useful that is. That's a real ethical dilemma, isn't it? That's a real, that's a really tricky one of kind of going, if you step down and then you only leave his viewpoint, then... But at the same time, at the same time, I think that you don't want to lend your name in helping to continue to legitimize people like Steve Bannon. You know, it's a difficult. It is a difficult one. There's a lot of there's a lot of real quandaries being set up for us constantly. I thought about this because I thought of you when you did Question Time, yeah, with Piers Morgan. And a lot of the time, when we get asked to do these sort of shows, we don't necessarily know who we're going to be on with that far ahead of time. I once did Peston. Yeah. And I was on with Paul Nuttall and Michael Gove. Yeah, sure. And I didn't know that. And that was a real lesson to me to go find out who else is on the show. Just like yeah, one but of them, but t- both of them. But also they don't, especially with those political talk shows, is a lot of the time, and it's not I, I it's not done out of malice. It's just um, the nature of booking politicians. A lot of the time they don't know. So like, I mean, you can't. It's really, it's really tricky one with that one. I with Question Time, I found out that Piers Morgan was going to be on it when David Dimbleby announced that he and I were going to be on the first panel, and he 
tweeted me he's tr- was trying to start some kind of beef start the beef yeah again, some kind yeah. of pointless thing but reignite it, the beef <laughs> yeah well no that at that point that was the ignition of the beef <laughs> <laughs> all right sorry so the key wasn't in no the, the key before. wasn't in the no it was but that was but yeah it's a it is difficult because you know i mean the thing with piers morgan is that he's a classic example of somebody who is can't stop legitimizing people (laughs) he can't he cannot he's so uh attracted to power that he can't help but legitimize people he can't help but interview trump and when he interviews trump he does it with absolutely no journalistic rigor whatsoever when he interviews uh anything that he does he the man is not a journalist he's a kind of personality yes that's the problem isn't it but i mean i i think the problem is that he claims the clout of journalistic integrity which is why he says he's interviewing trump because he says he's the president of american i'm a journalist and you kind of look at it and you go you're a journalist because you say you're a journalist you have no actual journalistic integrity and you don't function in the way that a journalist is supposed to function you know if you watch good morning britain he's not He's, he's not, not neutral in the stories, no, is he? He's not even just not neutral in the stories. He's not. He's got. There's no kind of intellectual heft behind well, anything. He the, says. the intellectual heft is the thing because Piers is one of my real. Is it Bet Noir? Is that was that what they call it? Like oh. a no, like an enemy. Noir. Yeah, yeah. Like because he does these. I think they're so basic. Contrarian shit takes is how I'm going to describe it on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. Where essentially what he does is go the opposite on an issue. What most normal decent people would think it's not thought thought through, and then it creates what I described to you before we started recording as what I'm now calling. I'm going to coin this term: pander issues. Right. When people take an issue and they make it black or white, <laughs> like, and it's yeah. not. A lot of issues require nuance and complexity yeah, yeah. to be discussed. So someone like Piers Morgan having a go about Tess holiday uh being on the front cover of cosmopolitan and saying she's promoting obesity where you go no she's a woman who's existing who's on the front of a magazine yeah yeah yeah. and if you want to talk about obesity that's a separate issue yeah you could have a discussion about but you don't want to have a discussion you just want the ease of uh concern trolling a woman yeah you know that's what you're doing you know we've got an obesity crisis we've got a dickhead crisis peers you're all over the tv yeah yeah like that's part of the problem so he's someone that i don't think is intellectual i don't think he's smart but it seems to be easier in the current climate and it really disappoints me to be to to put out these contrarian views or these really strongly left or right views and any kind of nuance or reason debate is just gone yeah well i think that's the nature of that's the downside of the fact that most of our discourse takes place through social media and blogs and through the internet that is the downside of that that you know in in 140 or 280 characters or whatever it is that you've got on Twitter now, you don't have the space to be nuanced. I think that's there is a huge upside to the fact that we have so much. There's been a kind of democratization of information, and the internet also and social media particularly give voice to communities and sections of society that otherwise we would never have heard from because they don't have the channels open to them. I mean, like Black Lives Matter and to be honest, the Me Too movement. Yeah. Both are positive examples of what media without gatekeepers can be can look like when it's used in a good way. You know, those yes. are those are two marginalised groups who otherwise wouldn't have had the voice suddenly 
you know, the Me Too movement. Where the power was, to speak up. Yeah, it was amazing. Which, which has been shared. Uh, the uh, All Lives Matter uh, argument is yeah. one that I always sort of compare to feminism because they sort of go, well, why do we need Black Lives Matter? Surely all lives matter. And it's like every argument about feminism that I've ever heard where you go, yeah, you know, men's lives matter as well. Yes, like, equality. Or is it, but, it, but the thing is, we're not treated equally. Yeah, So that's exactly. we're not all treated as if our lives matter to the same degree. Mm. And that's why we need it. And we'll continue to need it until things are equal. The very fact of the phrase Black Lives Matter is necessary language because, you know, in America, the state, treats black people as if their lives don't matter. That's what that's what that is, you know, and me too. Again, these are perfect, a part of the reason I think they catch on as kind of catch-all terms that a lot of these conversations happen under is Black Lives Matter is a pithy way of summarising what's wrong with America. And, and in this country as well, we have the same problems. And me too is a perfect example of what that movement meant, which is no one realised the extent to which women were just... We weren't talking about the fact that women were being abused on this kind of scale because no it one was... It being commonplace that, yeah. you're, that someone you know, a woman that you know or you are close to yeah. has experienced this to a degree. Yeah, absolutely. And the degrees are varying and it's important that we treat them differently. But again, this is where the contrarianism comes in that's frustrating. I read a, a Lionel Shriver piece and she's a, you know, a brilliant author and writer, but she'd written a piece for The Spectator saying, you know, Me Too has got out of hand and... Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not a girly girl, but, I, you know, I'd rather be groped and sexually harassed and and uh, abused at work than have my legs cut off or yeah. something. And I was like, you know, that's not the choices. It's yeah, not like, yeah. is it A or B? Yeah. You know, like... It's all bad. It's all... Yeah, it's all bad. It's all bad and all I'm needs sure, to be campaigned against. I'm, I'm sure most people would rather be mugged than murdered, but that doesn't mean people should be mugged. Yeah. So the, making it this kind of... I don't know if the correct phrase is zero-sum gain, but these these kind of um, false equivalencies, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Those aren't the choices. You go, is, you're saying that, that we have to have that choice to just demand basic respect. Yeah. And then what you get with this kind of contrarianism is someone like Candace Owens. She'd done a tweet about uh, the Kavanaugh hearings and kind of, you know, this is what feminists, radical feminists, they disgust yeah, me. Yeah, sure, yeah. They're a mob. And I made a joke of like Candace Owens is a anagram of internalised misogyny. Yeah. And then, of course, the pylon, and you will know about yeah. this, the social media no, I pylon. Saw, yeah, and I saw the, it. We were talking about this at the weekend. Yeah, yeah. the frog, the alt-right frogs, MAGA, football jersey, eggs that hatch into full-blown trolls. Yeah. You know, um, but again, she's an example of someone who is contrarian because she knows she's going I'm I'm a black Republican and Republicans care about black people more than Democrats ever will you know and and then she's comparing the Me Too movement to what happened to Emmett Till at the, like it was absolutely insane over the weekend and oh I went, yeah people like this are so damaging and I don't know how we could how we move forward to have this kind of ground in the middle yeah but there is like Candace Owens is another classic example of She's exactly the same as Indian Brexit is, or like I mean, and she's a sort of she's against feminists and the black rights movement. She's a classic example of someone who is the living result of internalized racism and internalized misogyny. And uh, you know, it's sometimes it's hard not to have sympathy for people like that. You know, it's it, you you kind of go, do you not see that you're kind of help? You're like you're Samuel L. in Django. You know, like that's right, right. like that's 
that's where you are. You know, I don't understand why you don't see that you but are digging think, your own grave. And I, but I wonder as well if there's an awareness of that, and it's because I believe she was left wing before. Yeah. And so I changed it when actually I don't think this is um, what I would call uh, internalized misogyny so much as misogyny for pay. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So I, I'm coming up with these really horrible contrarian view and I find that worse I remember someone saying to me about Katie Hopkins once Katie Hopkins doesn't actually think all of this and I was like that's worse yeah yeah. I would rather someone who thought those things and they said it and they were honest about it and you could go to bat with them and try and get them to understand a different way of thinking than someone who's hurting the world by essentially going I know this is dark and evil and bad but I'm going to do it anyway because I'm getting paid yeah oh god yeah the that the sort of rent-a-gob industry is absolutely thriving like it's yeah i mean candace owns obviously she also knows that she's going to make money sort of saying stuff like that and yeah i don't really i but i sometimes worry that sometimes my fear about me and my career is that am i just contributing am i on am i as bad as katie hopkins that's what i think sometimes sometimes i worry that i am a left-wing Katie Hopkins. And like, I, instead That's what everyone of, says about you, Nish. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I'm, you know, ultimately an entertainer who is financially capitalising on serious political issues. Like, that's my, that that's my concern sometimes. When you look at yourself in the mirror, sometimes you have to think like, am I profiting off the downfall of Western democracy? And that, those are the, you, you sometimes you do have to ask yourself those questions. And I, I do sometimes worry that the kind of perfect a perfect visual representation of everything that is wrong with contemporary discourse is the fact of me and Piers Morgan appearing on Question Time together, you know? And it's like your two sides are the, the same. The and the Omega. Yeah, the, the two sides are the same, same problem. Your entertainers masquerading as intellects. <laughs> so... Have you ever received any feedback from an audience member? And this is a question I sort of quite like asking about comedy being a force for social change. Have you ever had um, an email from a kid saying, seeing you made me want to start stand up or thank you for talking about this thing. Thank you for talking about religion or culture or depression or any of those things. Yeah, you get, yeah, you get some really lovely messages and especially after tour show like I'm on tour at the moment especially after a tour show because you know you're doing sort of 80 minutes you you they you really try and connect with the audience and you really have that period of time where you really feel a connection to the audience I've had a couple of really uh, lovely messages from uh, trans people that have been in the audience and I've, I've I've I have a piece of material that is just about me I mean it's me attacking Ricky Gervais because I thought that his jokes about trans people were appalling and just reminded me of the sort of comedy that my fa- my par- my parents were on the receiving end of in the 70s and 80s. Like, it seemed to me just to be... It just seems to me to be just regressive and, like, really weirdly old-fashioned. It's like you're just kicking trans people because they're the newest group of people for you to kick, right? It's not... There's nothing... So I have a piece of material kind of attacking Ricky Gervais and I had a couple of really just a couple of really nice messages from two kids who are trans who said oh it was just really nice to come to a comedy show and see somebody talk about trans issues and it not be you know 
it not be the of the joke. aren't they weird like that that was yeah. the, that was the message and that is that's really lovely that's a really nice thing and that's where you think actually it can see these are the moments that i think oh it can be a force for social change yeah it can be a positive thing because someone felt heard someone felt listened to or someone yeah. even started comedy because they saw you yeah have you ever had an email from anyone saying i started stand up i don't think so i mean i imagine there are some people there will be. I imagine there are some people who looked at me and was like, well, if he can do it. <laughs> I mean, anyone can do it. <laughs> to use the old, if you can see it, you can be it. Yeah. But also... You oh, know, I mean, I strongly believe that. Like, yeah. I really strongly believe I completely believe that because I think that there's a group of us, and when I say us, I mean British or East Asian second generation immigrant comedians that only exist now because of goodness gracious me, because we were between eight nine and 13 when goodness gracious me first aired like there's ramesh me bisher okay ali ahir shah um there's a tez there's a whole bunch of us that started that i think do comedy because of goodness gracious me and i think if you track the age of it you can see that we were kids we weren't late teenagers we were still young children and so it's set in our minds the idea that you can be... That's like me watching Victoria Wood. Exactly. I was actually just about to ask you, was there yeah. someone who... like Victoria Wood and Joan Rivers. Because I used to love watching Eddie Murphy and stuff, but I never really connected that a woman could do stand-up in that way till I saw yeah. Joan Rivers for the first time. I saw Joan Rivers and I was like, wow. And weirdly, Lily Savage. <laughs> <laughs> Seeing Paul O'Grady, I loved Lily Savage. And I was like, this is really fun. Maybe I yeah. could do... But I think Joan in that real straight stand-up traditional sense. Yeah. Victoria Wood was the first person that made me... She kind of made me want to act more and do funny acting. Yeah, yeah. And do characters and stuff like that. So Victoria, um, I would sit down and watch with my mum. So we had... So their presence meant that I was able to do it. It's interesting that you say goodness gracious me because I I worked with Mira on a couple of things. I've worked on a couple of things with Mira. The first thing we ever did together was a big like it was sort of like almost like a corporate ladies breakfast yeah not inspirational talks but everyone was doing a bit of stand-up or like right, yeah, kind yeah. of ted talk-esque yeah and mira did this great speech about representation and I, I just think she's incredible when we left we got the train home together and a woman came over just sort of on the brink of tears and went sorry sorry i know you're together and i know you're i know you probably don't like being bothered but i just you mean everything to me yeah seeing you on television that you existed that I felt like I was represented like literally yeah yeah and it was it was something that makes me tear up because it was so magical to watch yeah and she was so gracious and she was so kind and she was like well thank you so much and she was like no you know I watched yeah a goodness gracious me and there was the film as well uh what was the film the big film well there's Bend It Like Beckham Bend in that like same Beckham. era yeah yeah, yeah. and so, she had a novel out called Anita and Me at the time which yes. I remember reading yeah so this 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 woman was just like kind of and can I have a photo and and like I say Mira was so gracious but that showed me I was like you mean something to yeah. people often I'll find it if I'm out with the female comics and we're in a group because sometimes individually you're slightly out of context. But if you sure. together, if there's a bunch of us, I think we went to see Catherine Ryan's show and I was with, with, with Roisin and uh, we walked out of the show and someone went, oh, there's Roisin and Tiffany and, uh, and you're all here. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's our friend. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but people were like, oh my God, we love you. We love all of you. You know, so there's, I do feel like there's this kind of like changing tide, this kind of interesting, diverse 
you know, in terms of class, in terms of gender, in terms of race, that is such a great and interesting time. And I think that there are people who are pushing back against that because they're afraid of it. Yeah, sure. But seeing interactions like that one with Mira. Yeah, yeah. Or you saying that you started stand-up because of that show. Yeah, 100%, yeah. And I watched you at the Guilty Feminist Amnesty podcast do the, you did a goodness yeah, gracious we did. sketch, Yeah, we did, you? going for an English. Like, it was me, Bisha K. Ali, Cinder V, and Himesh Patel is a brilliant actor. Um, and Cinder and Bisha are fantastic stand-ups and writers as well. Um, and um, and there was one male part that they couldn't cast, and so they cast they got Kilvin the Gear. Like, someone said, should we just call him? And ask him if he wants to play his own part. And he said yes. And came up on the train for the day. And we got to do that sketch with him, which was great. It was really great. I felt I felt it was really magical watching that. Yeah. I have to say in the audience, because seeing how much you enjoyed it and forgetting that there's great, sometimes these great sketches or bits are written and then they just kind of disappear. Yeah, yeah. Um, but to seeing it recontextualised with a bunch of fresh people in it and kind of you, Jimmy Falloning your way through the entire thing by Yeah, corpsing. it was just too funny to me. Like, it was, it was just too... <laughs> Nish was couldn't too get funny. his lines out. <laughs> it was too funny to me. It was too funny to me to see him. Because, like, the first comedy show I ever saw was them live at the Hackney Empire in 1999. And I saw them do that sketch on stage. And I just... I. Was, couldn't believe it was I was doing it in real life. Um, yeah, it was an amazing experience. I think that it is that is an area where you can pinpoint comedy and culture as having a kind of social impact. I think representation does matter and is important, and that can help shift people's thinking. You know, I think that can help shift people's thinking on minority issues and help build empathy you know I think I remember seeing that for the first time and going I'd never thought about it yeah yeah from the point of the view of people who work in the restaurants yeah when like a flood of English people come in and mispronounce the dishes and yeah yeah shout at them and and I, I my friend I think it was Neil Newborn who was in the original yeah, in yeah, yeah. Playing the waiter. Yeah. It was Tom Tuck on the night you did it. Yeah. But it did. That opened up my eyes to something that I wasn't aware of. Do you have a routine where you think, oh, that might be one where I feel like I've changed some minds? Do you ever get anyone coming up at the end of your show? I had with um, my last two shows with Seven and with Bombshell. I would have people come up to me afterwards kind of going, I disagree with you politically, but I really enjoyed the show. Or, oh, I think differently about that now. I I get a lot of leave voters coming up to me being like, I'm leaving, I thought it was funny. And you're, and you're like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. If <laughs> That's you think, nice. If That's you think fine. the fate of... <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's like, I, 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 you know, I think it's, I, I, you know, I, yeah, sometimes the most I've ever had, I would say with that is just um, you kind of get... Uh, particularly white leave voters kind of going, wow, I really, you know, didn't realise it was... Yeah, I really didn't realise it was this causing you this much anguish. And I didn't realise that we didn't know that it was going to lead to this kind of outpouring of racism. And you kind of go, there were definitely signs. (laughs) There were definitely signs. And you possibly could have spotted that. But, I, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know whether that changed any of their minds. But... um, 
it, yeah, because I the end of my the show that I did in two thousand and sixteen, so like which I did Edinburgh and toured in, in the immediate aftermath of the result. The last routine in that show was a story about me getting uh, told to go home on stage at the comedy store the night the results came out. So the results had been come out that morning, and I was doing the comedy store that night, and. Um, a guy told me to go home. So that and it was this was like this, this was the final routine of the whole show and the last sort of fifteen. Was that minutes on a cutting edge or was it just a regular week? No, no, no. It was. A, it would have been a well. All our, it would have been on the Friday night. So right. it was a Friday night and um, and yeah, and it was yeah, it was very jarring. You know, and it was a very jarring experience. And I talked about that, and you and what you would sometimes get is afterwards people would be people would be like, oh, I re- we you know we voted Brexit, we didn't realise it was going to be, we didn't think that there'd be this much, and you kind of go, so do you now regret your decision? And they're like, uh, no, but still, we didn't just realize absorb it, was, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, so I I don't know. I mean, the best I could hope for is that a couple of people saw it and were like, oh yeah, probably we wouldn't want to, we shouldn't have aligned ourselves with that. But I think I think mainly what I get from shows is not. My the feedback I get from audience members is not, um, you know, I really have my mind changed. It's more like it's a real relief to hear somebody who has the same views as us, and it is a real, it, it's it's a real, it's good to see somebody is. I don't think even people find it funny anymore. I'm not sure I'm functioning as a comedian anymore, <laughs> but it's more like people are like, oh, it's just good to see that there's someone as angry about this stuff as I am. I think anger can be really funny. I mean, look at Lewis Black, for example, who, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. it, and I do think you're funny when you're angry. And I do think that means that you aren't profiting sure. from what's going on. I feel like it, it's part of a kickback. I do, I feel that it's necessary. I mean, I th- I'm pretty sure I'm pretty much exclusively preaching to the converted. <laughs> but I did see, I mean, I did see this year in Edinburgh, and again, Edinburgh, it's, you're not getting that. You're not getting the, the mind changing yeah because there is a sort of there is a liberal consensus generally in the Edinburgh Festival um but it did feel I saw a couple of shows with women handling the Me Too movement because there was a lot of you know every year in Edinburgh at the end of it the journalists have to write these articles being like oh this This year was the the year of yeah and mental health yeah and And so It, it was it was a year where they could easily have gone oh okay this year is the Me Too year but I did see a couple of shows without wishing to kind of reinforce that, because I don't want to encourage that sort of, you know, that slightly like, I find that it's all a little bit too convenient to kind of reduce the entire artistic output of the Edinburgh Festival to like the Me Too year. And also it's slightly, it's slightly dismissive and, you know, patronising to the subject matter, which is obviously very serious. Subject matter and anyone that's talked about these kind of things before, which they will have been. It's a weird... Journalists just can't be bothered. They like it easy... Yeah, completely. But I did see a couple of shows. I saw Lazy Susan's show this year and it was a sketch show that kind of dealt head on with the Me Too movement. And again, you're in Edinburgh, so maybe your minds are not being changed. But at the same time, it felt like... I was like... It felt like... It felt like being at a punk rock gig. Like it was yeah. like, there was something about it that was like energising and really exciting to see. And also, I think, also to be honest, there's just, there's a lot of men's opinions about Me Too around. Uh, you know, there's plenty of them. Come and see my tour show for more. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, there was something very thrilling about watching two women do comedy about Me Too. And it was, and also it's like sketch comedy as well, which isn't always a form 
especially live hour-long sketch shows don't always lend themselves well to like a political message. Yeah. But God damn it, that show really did and, it. And they and so again, you kind of go. I, I even when sometimes I'm not sure whether comedy can shift the dial in terms of conversation. There was something raw and thrilling and exciting about seeing Lazy Susan's show, and it was and also it was really silly and really funny but really clever and had a really strong point to it. And, you know, I, I just wonder whether that... I, I can easily imagine, you know, somebody, a young woman seeing that show and going, you know what, I really don't have to take any of this shit. Like, there's there's something kind of energising and thrilling about being, watching Fire and Celeste kind of attack thorny subject matter and just kind of go, we're going straight for it. There is something special for women when women really love what you do, I think. Yeah. I think for me, I'm like, not that it's not for men, and lots of men do come to my shows. Yeah. You know? But there is something really beautiful when another woman kind of is like, ah, oh, you know, there's a visceral level to which they oh, can connect to. I love some going of and watching, feelings. I loved going and watching Rose Matafeo's show this year in Edinburgh because she's now. She, there were so many young women in there and it's only when you go to one of those shows and you go oh yeah I'm not normally in a gig where the majority of the audience is young women like that just doesn't happen in comedy and there is something it's like going and seeing you know it's like it's a really sort of exciting experience to be and it's a really thrilling thing and you feel really like oh this is a real privilege for me to be in this audience and even though this you know this, I'm not part of this group. I f- I'm excited to just be here and see how. I, like I saw Get Out in a predominantly black and Afro Caribbean. Yeah, I watched. Audience, um, and it's like it was it was exciting. I watched. Is it the Arc Light in LA? I went to see Black Panther. Yeah, and it was magical because yeah. everyone came out and did traditional African dress. Like for the for the for the showing of it, came yeah. out African dress bright colours, everyone went for it and it felt like, oh, wow, this is a moment because it's a moment for people of colour to have a film which finally they go, yeah. here's a superhero film for yeah, us. Yeah. You know, and, and... Yeah, it must have been like what being a white person at the Goodness Gracious Me gig was like. Like, it is energising to see a community and a group of people be yeah. represented. Like, representation is good for the community, but it's also, it can be a really exciting thing to be just bear witness to and be part of. To feel the energy around yeah, that. I to, think to yeah, feel the energy is, around yeah. people going, this is for us, finally, Ooh. something for us. It's like trying to get people to be personally accountable. And it's the hardest thing is to try and get people to kind of go, oh yeah, I'm, some of that is me. And I, if this is, it isn't, some of this and the way that I'm perceiving this is, the fault of my conditioning and my conditioning plays a part in that and how do you sort of step back and unravel that and it was really I went to see this talk that um Courtney Act gave was giving in Edinburgh oh yeah Courtney Act won Celebrity Big Brother and is you know a kind of really prominent drag queen in the UK yes and there was just this long point where Courtney was talking about feeling like at one point maybe trans people don't, don't wouldn't need to transition if they, if it was more socially acceptable for them to wear women's clothing, and then having someone sit down and say, "No, that is just this is just different points in the spectrum," and you're wrong about this, and you need to think about it and understand why. And Courtney X just sat there talking about this and how the whole concept of how she saw gender completely shifted, and how 
suddenly she realised trans issues are completely different as a completely different part of the spectrum from drag issues and completely changed her mind about it. And I'm sat there listening to this thinking, this feels so unfamiliar to me. And I realised <laughs> the reason it felt so unfamiliar to me was like, how often do you ever you see somebody yourself. have that like have the humility and the kind of intellectual good grace to say, hey, here's the thing that I used to think. Then I was confronted by evidence. It changed my mind. <laughs> you know, that's I, it was it was such a powerful and bold thing to admit. Well, I think you can get boxed into a corner because it's funny to have like a strong view down a line within comedy. It is quite funny sometimes to be like just on this side or this yeah, side yeah. of an issue. But I do think we punish people for changing their minds or right, making yeah, yeah. mistakes. And I think that's one of the big things that needs to be undone because, yeah. uh, you know, m- mistakes are progress. Yeah, you sure. learn from mistakes. Yeah. So the idea that you could go, I thought that, and actually I've completely changed my mind. I think is great. And that's what progressive society needs. And yeah, I, yeah. I'm trying to do it a bit more with myself because I think I get myself fixed into a, a sort of corner on an issue and I feel it from my gut and I get angry and then I go, is there another way of looking at this? I'm trying to do it more, but I, I get yeah, exactly sure. what you're saying. Where it feels alien, you go, how often do I do that myself? Yeah, sure. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I, but that's sometimes I worry with comedy whether in order to make something funny, you have to kind of push yourself into a binary and it's, it's tr- trying to make comedy that embraces nuance and that's yeah. a real challenge. Because if you're not doing that, then maybe you are making comedy that just consolidates the status quo. Yeah, I had a, a routine in, in Bombshell about the sort of rules of complimenting women because that's one that comes up quite a lot. Yeah, you know, sure. Of like kind of going, you can't even compliment a woman anymore. And um, like the bit, the bits of that is like the the what people expect me to say, which is like, you know, well, you can't and just don't be a sex person, don't you? Go, yeah, yeah. Of course you still can. I think the nut of the issue is you can still compliment a woman. You can say you look lovely, but we owe you nothing. Yeah, yeah. And that's what you need to understand is ego and expectation. Yeah. You can still say the words. You can still say you look nice. Yeah, yeah, and I yeah. think the other thing was the caveat, if it's shout from the top of a building or out of a moving car. Yeah, sure. If like yeah. the Doppler effect applies, then it's not a compliment. Yeah, yeah. But finding the subtleties in that, because as well, sometimes the, the issues we're discussing aren't things that can be legislated. Yeah. So it's easier to do a take which goes... You know, men, yeah, why don't yeah. you all just shut up and go fuck yourselves because you're really annoying yeah, yeah. and you pester us? Where you go, no, you st- you're still free to pay a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Just don't expect anything in return. That's how that works, you know. Yeah. Um. So sometimes, you know, just finding the. Yeah, sure. The yeah, little, yeah, yeah. I don't know why. I... No, because I think that is an example of it. Or yeah. But also getting to the beats of those things and finding where they land is really interesting in comedy, and that's yeah, why we of need course. new material nights and stuff. Yeah. Um, because sometimes you do a bit and you go, oh, no, that's just wrong there. I've gone in too harsh. Yeah. Too angry. I need to pull back. Yeah. I need to rephrase or I need to repeat. Oh, Chris Rock does the old repeat. The yeah, premise sure. Of a yeah, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really great where he'll say the government yeah, hates the rap. the government hates rap, yeah. And he'll come the... back to it. He'll come back yeah. to it to remind everyone of what we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so I think that's that's what's what makes it beautiful and interesting and it's that's the i guess that's the difference between good comedians and bad is finding that yeah it's it's really interesting we i really i still don't have an answer for you on whether i think comedy can be i think it can be i think what i'm trying to say is i think comedy can be probably can be an engine for social change 
but I'm not sure mine is. <laughs> I think that's I think that's what I'm trying. I think that's what we're what I'm getting at. You've been listening to a lush podcast. You can find more podcasts from us wherever you find podcasts, usually on the internet. Thank you.